that with you a little later on. But uh, right now, let me encourage you to open your Bible or your app on your electronic device to Matthew chapter 18. That's where we're going to be this morning. You may also want to pull in your uh, pull out from your worship folder this uh, message notes. It's got the whole passage, the story that we're going to look at this morning, and some places on the back for you to fill in some blanks and some white space and uh, lots of stuff there. So we're continuing in our series on Jesus's parables. Stories that change everything. And you need to know that parables were just stories that Jesus told to make or to emphasize some kingdom point. And so as we get ready to uh, look at this story today, there's really two questions that we need to consider as we begin to, uh, to look at this particular story. The first is this. Have you been gripped? By the gospel, to the point that you identify with being completely helpless, not a chance in the world of deserving to be forgiven by a holy God. Has the gospel gripped you to that point? That your identity, that you recognize that, that, that you bring nothing to the table, that you don't stand a chance ever of deserving to be forgiven? By a holy God. Has the gospel gripped you to that level? And then secondly then, do you, when you come to your own resentments then, are you willing to offer completely undeserved grace and forgiveness to those who sin against you? C.S. Lewis said this, he said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Well, let's look at this story. Let's start with the setting, Matthew chapter 18, and beginning with verse 21 and 22. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Peter thought he was doing pretty good because the rabbis of that day taught that you should forgive up to three times. So Peter thought, well, I'll just double that and add one more for good measure. Seven times, Jesus? And Jesus said, you're not even getting started at seven times. The forgiveness goes on and on and on. And so in response to Peter's question, it's kind of out there for everybody, he tells a story. He tells a, a parable. Now, there's two aspects of this story, and I think they build on each other. And so here's what the first one of those is. It has to do with our condition as sinners who are guilty before a holy God. Guilty. Before God, who is completely holy. That's in verses 23 to 27. Jesus starts into this story. Why don't you follow along? Verse 23, he says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. In the Greek, it's 10,000 
talents. A talent was worth about 20 years of a day laborer's wage. So by today's standard, it would be somewhere in the neighborhood of about $10 million. I mean, big bucks. It was a sum so large that he would never be able to repay it. You know, Jesus was prone to using hyperbole. You know, these big, huge, colorful exaggerations to make the point. You know, he said, uh, you know, it's easier for a rich man, I mean, it's easier for a camel to fit through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. You're thinking, man, I can't even get that thread through that darn thing, let alone a camel, you know. Uh, he said, you know, when, uh, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, because it's better to enter into heaven with one hand than it is to go to hell with both of them. Now, the point there is not that we should lop off one of our hands. All of us should come in here with just a stump at the end of one of our arms. That's not the point. He used this hyperbole, this huge exaggeration to make his point. He said, uh, you know, if, if your eye, one of your eyes causes you to sin, gouge it out because it's better to enter into heaven with just one eye than to hell with both of them, right? And so, again, not that we should start this self-mutilation process, but this, hyper, this hyperbole, this exaggeration, this, this sense that... Um, you know, it's just so large that you had pictured it in your mind that you couldn't miss the point. And that's what he's doing here. That this servant was indebted to the place that he would never stand a chance of paying it back. And so, as we go on the story, verse 25, it says, Since then he was not able to pay, yeah, of course not, $10 million. So he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. That was the common practice of the day, that you'd be sold into slavery, not only you, but your whole family, until you could make restitution, which in this case would never happen, right? Because of the ridiculous nature of the size of this debt. So, verse 26, it says, At this... The servant fell on his knees before him. And he said, be patient with me, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him. And he canceled the debt. And he let him go. Now, don't let the familiarity with this story keep you from catching the point here. The scandalous nature of this master's forgiveness. What a what kind of master would would extend forgiveness to this ridiculous point? And that's the point of Jesus' story. You see that God, who is holy, forgives us, if we're in Christ today, forgives us who are sinful. It's scandalous. It's ridiculous. It's absurd to think that a holy God would forgive such an incredible debt. And my friends, if you do not get that, then you do not get the gospel. 
Kind of picture it this way, maybe this um, pecking or this scale. Let's, let's, start, let's start up here at the top, as high as you can reach. With here, here, Here's a holy, sinless God. Okay? And then let's go down, way down here to the bottom, and let's, let's name, um, I don't know, the, the people that we can think of that are like the, the most evil, vile, uh, terrible people. Uh, Hitler, uh, Pol Pot. Uh, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, um, maybe, can you think of others? Uh, ISIS, ISIS. Uh, boy bands, I don't, I don't know, just uh, <laughs> the most terrible, vile people on the earth, you know. No, I'm just kidding about that last part, but you get the point. Holy God, evil, terrible people. Now, here, here, here's the point of that. Where do you put yourself on this scale? And here's what you need to grab hold of. If, if you see yourself as anywhere other than down here with the worst of the worst, you don't get the gospel. That when it comes to our standing before a holy God, we bring nothing to that bargain. We have nothing to add. We're down here with the worst of the worst. See, we, we tend to over-minimize the impact of our sin before a holy, sinless God. But the truth is, my debt is ridiculously beyond anything that I could ever pay back. And this is why there's no room for self-righteousness among people who truly embrace the gospel. The fact that we would think that we're ahead of somebody else on this designation. That maybe because I'm hitting on a cylinder that they're not, that somehow that launches us above. I mean, maybe we're this much better, but the distance between us and a holy God is bigger than this room. I mean, there's no room to think that I'm any better. And so, friends, listen to me. If your view, and maybe this is where some of us are this morning, if your view is, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person, and I'm doing my best, and, you know, it's probably, I, I mean, and I understand I'm not perfect, and so, you know, maybe it's about 90% me, and I need Jesus to just get me over that other 10% to make me right with God. If that's your view, you don't get the gospel. If what you're doing, and, and I'm sure there's some of us who thinks this, you know, if you're thinking, well, you know, I'm coming to church, and I'm trying to be a good person, and I'm, I'm doing right things, and, you know, I'm going to do these things, and these things are what's going to make, going to allow me to achieve being right with God. If you're thinking that way, friends, you don't get the gospel. You've been deceived. That our debt before a holy God is so incredible that we don't stand a chance of paying that back on our own righteousness. That's why our only chance is through the righteousness of the shed blood of Jesus. And so the first part of this story is about our condition as sinners who are guilty before a holy God. But there's a second aspect, and that deals with 
not just this aspect going this way, but then this aspect from us to each other. And it has to do with our perspective then when it comes to being sinned against. And that's in verses 28 to 35. So let's continue. So it says in verse 28, but then when that servant, the servant who had been forgiven, that servant who had experienced scandalous, ridiculous, magnanimous grace, when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, really just, just a few dollars. I mean, the comparison between the amounts of indebtedness were, is, is extreme here. It's ridiculous. That was Jesus' point. When he found this servant who owed him a hundred silver coins, he grabbed him and he began to choke him. He said, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell on his knees and he begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Sound familiar? Verse 30, but he refused. And instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that happened. And so the master called that first servant in. Here's what he said. He says, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? What's the answer? Yes. Duh. Of course you should have. And so in, his, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. See, we read this story. We see the, the drama unfold of this forgiven servant, how he doesn't forgive, and we're stunned. How someone who had received so much forgiveness would not be as free in his willingness to forgive. And yeah, let's be truthful. I mean, we, we read this story and, you know, and we think, well, you know, that's all fine and good until we are the one who gets sinned against, right? And so let me just let out a little secret here that's going to move this discussion from the point of preaching to meddling, okay? Here's the secret. We need to get this in our heads. It's this. That we live in a fallen, broken world. And because of that, you are going to be sinned against. You're going to be hurt you're going to be offended. You're going to be unfairly treated. It's going to happen. And yet when this happens to us, we're like, how could this be? This isn't fair. 
this isn't just. In this perfect orderly world that we live in, how could I be sinned against, right? And so let's just get this into our minds. That we live in a fallen, broken world. And because of that, we are going to be sinned against. We are going to be hurt and offended and unfairly treated. And so when this happens to you, what's going to be your response? Now listen to me. I don't want to diminish the unthinkable level to which some of us have been sinned against. In a room this size with this many people, there's some of us who are sitting here right now who have been sexually or physically assaulted or abused. Some of us have unfairly lost our jobs because of seriously unfair things that were done to us that we did not deserve. Some of us have been misunderstood and we've been treated in ways that were, 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 were just unthinkable. Just not right. Violently unfair and unjust. But listen to me. No matter what the injustice, when you're on the receiving end of that, it's painful, isn't it? It's hurtful. It's debilitating. And we all get this. Because we live in a fallen, broken world. And we have been sinned against and hurt and offended and unfairly treated. And it's going to happen to us again and again. And so when it does, not if it does, when this happens... What's going to be your perspective? Are you going to hold it against that person for doing or saying something that you don't deserve? Or will you extend grace and forgiveness that those people do not deserve? But will you extend grace and forgiveness just like God has done to me? So let me just let me just clear up a uh, let, me, let me just clear up a few things about forgiveness because I think sometimes this is a heavy topic and sometimes I think it can be misunderstood. So let me just real quick rattle off a few things about forgiveness. One is this, that forgiveness is not saying that what that person did to you was right. In fact, it's quite the opposite. If it was right, there'd be no need to forgive them. Do you understand what I'm saying? The very fact that you need to extend grace or forgiveness to them is because what they did to you was wrong. Forgiveness isn't saying that what they did was right. Secondly, forgiveness 
is not acting like it never happened. Listen to me. If you are being abused right now, forgiveness does not mean going back and putting yourself in danger again. It doesn't mean that. What forgiveness means is this, that I'm going to respond to you with grace instead of giving you what you deserve. What you deserve is my wrath, my retribution, my payback. Instead of giving you what you deserve, I'm going to extend to you grace. But I'm not going to put myself back into that situation again. Forgiving someone might mean saying, I forgive you, but I can't continue in this relationship. I forgive you, but I can't keep hanging out with you. I forgive you, but I can't keep working here. I forgive you, but it, it's, it's not pretending like it never happened. Thirdly, forgiveness is completely up to me. The one who's been sinned against. You see, I hold the key, not the other person. See, they don't have to agree with the offense. In fact, sometimes I've had people say to me, well, I, but, but they, they won't admit that they need to forgive. They don't have to admit it. It's not up to them. It's up to me. Totally up to me. They don't have to admit that they've sinned against me. They don't have to admit that they need to be forgiven. But I hold the key. You see, forgiveness is an act of my will. And I don't need any other person's acknowledgement or agreement to forgive. And then lastly, just this. Forgiveness is an act of my will, not my feelings. I've had people say to me, but I don't feel like forgiving them. Of course you don't feel like forgiving them. That you've been sinned against. You've been hurt. You've been offended. Of course, you, you can't just do what you feel like. If I only did what I felt like, I would never get up off the couch except to go to the refrigerator, right? <laughs> but we can't be controlled by our feelings. Jesus didn't die on the cross because he felt like doing it. In fact, read the Passion account in the Gospels. He struggled there. And finally, he yielded himself over to God, and he died for us on the cross because we needed him to die for us on the cross. We needed a payment for our sin, and he did it as an act of obedience, an act of doing what God wanted and desired for God's pleasure, not his own. I don't have to feel like doing it. It's an act of my will, not my feelings. And so here's really the issue, isn't it? How can I, if I truly understand the gospel of how much I was forgiven, of how Jesus shed his blood to be the payment for my sin so that God could freely offer me forgiveness that I don't stand a chance in the world of ever getting any other way of the magnitude, of the scandalous nature of that. How can I, if I truly understand the gospel, not extend grace and forgiveness to this person who has hurt or offended or sinned against me? Randy Alcorn says this, Without really seeing ourselves as impoverished sinners, we cannot appreciate God's grace and cannot truly forgive others as we should. 
And so we're called to forgive. Let me just give you a couple other little practical pieces about forgiveness. One of the practices is just this, you know, and Christians are the worst at this. We don't have the market on it. We don't have the corner on the market of this, but Christians are notorious for this, and that is this. This person over here sins against this person, and here's what we do. We come along, and we pick up this person's offense. We weren't sinned against, but now there's an issue between us and this person because of the sin they committed against this person. See, forgiveness needs to be what this person needs to deal with. When we pick up their offense, we can be outraged by it. We can move into the offense and sympathize with them and care for them and help them come to Jesus with it. But it's not our offense to pick up, is it? Another little practical piece is just this. That sometimes the person that we need to forgive is ourselves. See, we, we would let this other person off. But I have trouble forgiving myself. You know what that point? It just points to how little I truly grasp the gospel. That I have somehow deceived myself into thinking there's something about me that deserves merit. But when I really get the gospel, that I don't bring anything to this deal. That I've got nothing good to offer that even the grace to believe is given to me by God because I wouldn't choose it myself. Because there's nothing in me worth saving, and yet God, in his amazing grace, offers me the chance to have my sins forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus. And so let me wrap this up. Just a couple application points. The first is this, I mean, pretty obviously is this, it's this, is there somebody that you need to forgive? Is there somebody that you need to say to yourself, I'm not going to be this person's judge anymore. I'm going to surrender that over to God. You know, God says, vengeance is mine. That's what the Lord says. He's the judge. We're, we're willing to say, not that what this person did is right, we're just willing to say, you know what, I'm not going to be the judge anymore. I'm, I'm giving that over to God. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to let you off. It's between you and God now. It's not between you and me anymore. Is there somebody that you need to do that with? And, you know, forgiveness is, is not just these big things. It's everyday stuff, too, isn't it? You know, I work primarily with small groups, and I, I just want you to know, if you don't know this already, small groups are conflict machines. They are. Because you get into community with each other, you get close with each other, and guess what happens? We hurt each other, we offend each other, we sin against each other. We do all these things. And instead of thinking, well, we're Christians, this shouldn't happen, what we should think is, you know, we live in a fallen, broken world. And because of that, I am going to be hurt and offended and sinned against and unfairly treated, even by other Christians. And then we ought to even, after that, think this, but I am a gospel-soaked Christian, and so are they. And because of that, we ought to figure out a way to work this out, shouldn't we? But I digress. Here's the question. 
is there somebody you need to forgive? Some grudge, some hurt you have been unwilling to let go of. Is there somebody you need to forgive? Secondly, is this, have you truly embraced the gospel? Have you come to that point where you understand that you come to the cross with nothing in your hands in the, for the bargain? But throw yourself purely on the mercy of God's forgiveness based upon what Jesus did for you on the cross. And you say, God, here I am. I received Jesus' death to pay for my sins so that I can stand before you forgiven. Not because of anything that I do, but totally because of what you did for me. And your scandalous grace. Have you done that? Boy, if you're unclear about that, don't leave here without making sure you are clear. Come to a prayer partner here in just a minute and, and say, would you, would you help me know that I know that I know? Or, or, or go to some friend that you know that knows, that you know that they know, and say, I don't want to be unclear about this. But I wonder if there's not many of us who, you know, we would say, I, I, I think I'm clear about my I think I'm clear about my salvation. But somehow when I look, at it, if I'm honest, I recognize that there's still just too much pride there. There's still too much self-deception there. There's still too much sense of self there. But the gospel hasn't gotten deep down enough in me that I really recognize it's all Jesus and none me. And if that's you this morning, man, go before the cross. Come to one of these prayer partners. Come to someone else and say, help, help me pray that, that the gospel would so grip me that I understand that it's totally Jesus and God's grace. And nothing, not anything about me or what I bring. Well, let me pray for us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, speak to us now. Meet us in this situation. I, Lord, I, pr I pray for the, the person that's here. And as we've talked, they've struggled emotionally because they know there is somebody that they need to forgive. And Lord, I just pray that you'll give them the courage to do that. Lord, that even maybe right now the emotion in them is just so strong. Lord, help them to pray, even if they don't think they can forgive, to start to pray, God, help me to forgive. Help me get to that point. Help me so grasp what you did for me that I am able to let them off the hook for what this other person did to me. Lord, I pray for the person that's here and you know, they've been thinking that uh, this whole deal is about them earning somehow righteousness. Lord, help them see, help them grasp that, that their debt before you as a holy God is so great that they don't stand a chance of that. They need to come to the cross and throw themselves completely on the mercy of you, God, and receive Jesus' death as the payment for their sin. Lord, give them the courage to do that today. 
Lord, for the person that's <clears throat> that still thinks they're, they're somehow something. Lord, help us recognize just, just the excess of us in us. Help us to understand it's all grace. It's all grace. And that your work in us is about bringing us to the point, God, of truly throwing ourselves at your mercy. And then out of gratitude and love for you, going out and serving you with all we got so that your kingship can advance in this world, God. Lord, speak to us. Give us the, the wisdom to hear what you want to say to us from this story. Then give us courage to act on that. I pray in your name and for your glory. Amen.